one of the things I, I think sometimes new entrepreneurs do and, and maybe learn over time to do less is treat relationships with investors and service providers as transactional. And I think the RMVCA is just, if you're a founder, it's a great way to build relationships with folks that they might not invest in your seed round or your next round or maybe ever. But having that relationship means there'll be a sounding board. There'll be an ally. There'll be a friend. There'll be a, a connection to others. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem and the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital. Our guests today are Kate Beardsley and Chris Calder from the Rocky Mountain Venture Capital Association, or RMVCA for short an organization who represents entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and the service providers who support them in the Rocky Mountain region. In this episode, we will talk to Kate and Chris about what exactly the RMVCA is, how it got started, and what the association's goals are. They will let us know how they became part of RMVCA, why they think membership is important, and the fun events that members take part in throughout the year. Hello, Kate and Chris. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Les. Thank you for having us. Hi. To start off, Kate, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about your background, your personal and professional kind of life story, and then mentioning, of course, how you became affiliated with the RMBCA. And then Chris, after Kate, why don't you do the same? Sure. Well, thanks for having us. This is so fun to connect this way and talk about our organization. I am a partner at Hannah Gray, founding partner. We are a new pre-seed seed fund investing across the country and any type of human being. We're focused on customer-centric founders reimagining everyday experiences. And, um, you know, we're headquartered in New York and Denver. So obviously me representing in Denver is the part of the Rocky Mountain region. But we, we as a firm invest across the country, as I said. And so I would say I've been in venture for 15 years. This is the fifth fund that I've been a part of and managed. And I moved from New York City where I met my co-founder and um, partner, Jessica. So the perspective I have is coming from, uh, I'm not a native to Colorado. My husband is. And so that's kind of my touchstone. But I think coming in for, as an outsider to the Rocky region has been really interesting. And I think, you know, I moved in 2015. There's a huge, obviously, population swell post-COVID that I think we can all talk about. And part of why we'd love to bring more people into our organization, because there are more venture capitalists and investors in the community now more than ever. And, you know, that's my perspective is I really just, you know, got roped in through friendlies that were in the Rocky Mountain Venture Capital Association said, you should come join us. You know, I didn't even know what it was, obviously. It's just so great to be a part of a, a group that is doing the same, you know, profession. I think we've all looked to that in terms of just understanding our peers strategy. So it's a really good network to be a part of. But yeah, I'll hand it over to Chris. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, Chris Calder. I'm um, with Rose Park Advisors, which is a kind of stage agnostic, vertical agnostic investment firm based in Boston, but co-founded by Clayton Christensen. And we we invest in companies that we think are harnessing the benefits of disruptive innovation. I'm based in Salt Lake City for now. Unfortunately, we'll be, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending on who's asking, we'll be moving to Boston pretty soon, but enjoying the last of my time in the Rockies. I actually grew up in Colorado, spent a lot of time in Montana, ended up in Utah for college, joined a startup in undergrad at BYU. And then after a couple of years, joined the venture firm that had backed us in Salt Lake and kind of 
within a couple of years, got the chance to join the RMVCA and and take over one of the board seats from one of the partners there, and um, had a have had a great experience using it as a way to meet other investors, meet founders, meet the folks supporting the entrepreneurial ecosystem, and the rest is history. So it, it occurred to me already in these intros, you know, I've got two amazing VCs in this region that have been moving the needles for founders for, for years now. We should probably have you both back separately on another episode to talk about that. Totally. But today we're focusing on the Rocky Mountain Venture Capital Association. So ugh, it's a lot to get out. All right, we'll just call it RMVCA for short. But Kate, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the organization and how it was, how it was started? Yeah, you know, this is really, you know, I wasn't a founding member, so I'm, I'm, I would say reporting this through the history that's been told to me. But, you know, like any kind of organizations, I think the, the venture capitalists in the community just looked around along with the service providers, along with the companies and said, you know, we're all kind of participating in the same ecosystem. Let's make sure that we get together on a regular basis and see each other and collaborate. You know, our funds are different structures, our service providers provide different tools and assets, and clearly founders are building different types of companies, but we all share the same, you know, love for the Rocky Mountains and and we're all here. And, you know, at the time of formation, right, Silicon Valley was certainly the dominant player of ecosystem for our industry. So few and far between were venture capitalists across these states. And so working with the National Venture Capital Association, we are the arm of that in the Rockies and said, look, let's aggregate, you know, our our tools and best practices across communities, because at the time there were so few firms that it made sense to group the organization across Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, and Wyoming, just to be, you know, I would say scale with everyone's efforts in the same direction. And so part of the strategy too at the origination was, and this is pre-COVID, make sure that we do a bit of a roadshow across those states. You know, let's let's host an event in Wyoming or Montana and see if we can draw our venture capitalists across these regions that care about innovation in these regions and, you know, see what they're up to in those areas, network with the groups that are there. So that's really the impetus for the strategy is an organization to move capital and move connections across the region. You know, so it's very informal in that it's largely based around events that are just networking purposes. This is also so nice that it's taken down. It's not a pitch event. You know, that's usually not what we run here. It's just more along the lines of we have food for thought luncheons, you know, where we have a great entrepreneur who comes and talks about their journey. We have service providers who might talk about an expertise that they understand, but we're all kind of coming together around the same purposes to understand and grow and learn and build our network in person. Again, this, a lot of this was designed in person. So we had to do a bit of a rejigger like everyone did in COVID, but I think that's only made it easier to network across um, state lines, but yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. You know, you know, speaking of this, the the state lines thing and just this the the pre-COVID roadshow, I remember, I remember that was my first exposure it was in 2015, the year I moved to Montana. And I remember hearing about the RMVCA doing this event. I was like, there's there's venture capital in Montana. And yeah. at the time, there actually was none. Uh, of course, now I work for one of two firms. There's two VC firms in the state. But uh, so that was my exposure. And it was a very positive one. Chris, what was your what was your first exposure to RMVCA? You know, it's a great question. I think it was one of those things where when you get started in venture, when you're kind of earlier in your career, you're you're just really trying to build a network. And and I, I think I was probably at the time just asking the folks at my firm, like, how could I how could I like build relationships with the other investors? 
with the other people that are supporting startups locally and just was fortunate to just get plugged in directly. You know, I think there, there's just, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of events that you can go to that are like in a conference format or, a, you know, like open house format. And they don't, they don't necessarily foster like one-on-one relationships the way, at least for me, the RMVCA has. So it was, it, it's been a huge kind of accelerant to my career. Awesome. And who, who can be a member? I mean, is there, is there like a hard line between like what constitutes, you know, the ability to be a member or versus not or? Yeah. So on our website, there's membership criteria that you can look for. But right now, members include venture capitalists, private equity firms. And so I'd say we have a wide aperture in terms of the definition, largely also because, again, we're talking about states that had smaller access to firms, private investors and angel organizations too, service professionals, as we talked about. And I would say associate members. So this is like corporations, government departments. I think the overarching theme is if you're interested in participating in the startup community, um, you know, from any angle is welcome. We just look at it too, that we may host some events where it's primarily for VCs to meet VCs, or we're very excited to hear what service providers are, you know, seeing. So I think it's, it's really stems around that. But I think the way that capital structure now is, is very differentiated across the country. And so we're trying to be as welcoming as possible. Great. And, and Chris, you mentioned, you, you know, some of the benefits or the biggest benefit being this like need, especially early on in your career to be networking and co- having those one-on-one connections. What are, what are some of the other, some of the other benefits to membership? Like why, why should th- these, these types of entities that, that Kate just described do it? Why should they do it? Well, certainly I'd be remiss not to highlight the ski doggle and adventure doggle events we do, which are just like just fun. Look, I think the startup ecosystem has this really great way of like self-selecting people into it that are smart, ambitious, personable, you know, high integrity. And like, they're just going to ski doggle. Like you're surrounded by a bunch of really smart people that are doing interesting things. Like I just, I just find that fun. I think most people do, but beyond kind of, you know, the softer benefits, I, I think for, for VCs, it's a great source of like investment opportunities for service providers, I think it's probably the easiest way to kind of build your business and build your relationships with venture capitalists and startup founders. And for founders, you know, these events are, I would say, probably unique in creating an environment where you can meet investors on your own terms and, and not be pitching and not be like trying to create something transactional, but kind of saying like build your network in a different way. But, but I think that like takes a different facet for kind of where you sit in the ecosystem. I'm, I'm glad you said that because it's it's become, I think, such an important theme of this season on Found in the Rockies is just the the importance of developing those like authentic, real relationships, especially for early stage founders, especially in our region, right? It's kind of the way venture's done, I think, in our region. Do you make investments? Is there a fund or or do you sort of rely on, I mean, I, I know sometimes people get, get the, this entity confused with like, the Rockies Venture Club or the Rockies Venture Fund, but those are two those are two separate entities. Yep. How like how do you make these connections? Like, what's the tissue that connects entrepreneurs to to investment? Yeah, we don't have a separate fund. You know, I think we all have our hands full managing our own fund. <laughs> 
I can't imagine what the IC committee would be like if that was, it would just be hilarious. Um, but, but we do obviously function like a normal uh, nonprofit, right? Voting structure. You know, we vote in new board members. We vote in co-chairs. You know, we think about structure and events, all that sort of as a consortium. I would say the connective tissue is really, as Chris said, relies around the foundation is this relationship building. And I think we can all say as VCs, Sure, this is finance, but the backbone of what we do is this is relationship management at its best, you know, and the ability to meet people and form trust through in-person events is unparalleled. I think we all miss that with COVID. And I think we've also, you know, all been a part of heavy Slack channels, which are great and very useful for distribution of information and quick answers for things, but it doesn't necessarily form the same kind of long-standing trust or understanding of what our peers' businesses are, that kind of thing. So, you know, if we're looking for the best, you know, lawyer in our area that has a specificity around what they do, that that's probably a conversation had over a cocktail or something else more casual versus it's taking the aggressive pitch out of it. You know, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm on back-to-back Zooms all day long and I feel like it's sort of very quick distribution of what your information is that. And it's so nice to take it back to a more slower paced, natural relationship building strategy in the way that we used to just meet for coffee or, you know, just kind of casually get to know each other with no hard ask at the end of that. And so RMBCA is really geared around forming trust, forming relationships at these areas, less so about like, let's have a transaction at the end of ski doggle or something, which I just find hilarious because that would be so funny. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kate, that's the second time a really interesting term has been dropped. I think think now we just have to talk about it. This doggle, the ski doggle. I think Chris (laughs) talked about a ski doggle or an adventure doggle or what? What in the world are these doggles we're talking about? This sounds cool. Who wants to take that one? Chris, go for it. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, I, I actually, I don't know when the first doggle uh, was <laughs> I think the first ever doggle was a boondoggle is what yes. well, that, <laughs> cer- certainly the, the name is a riff on boondoggle <laughs> and like it, it, by calling it the ski doggle or the adventure doggle like, I, I think we're trying to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek about the fact that like it is a boondoggle um, <laughs> in fact, to be totally honest the first time I went to ski doggle and and submitted the expense report afterwards like i felt pretty sheepish doing it i just i just went to Vail for two days and skied with a bunch of cool people and like such integrity chris i'm so so proud of you for feeling guilt i know for everyone listening just the core definition of doggle because i looked it up because i want to just understand like how to translate this it's a work or activity that is wasteful or pointless but gives the appearance of having value and so like (laughs) that's the point that we're coming at this with which is Uh, a sense of humor and i think you'll find that too with like all of our members are have a good sense of humor about this so yeah go chris yeah Yeah, you know i don't know how to follow up that definition kate like that (laughs) that is it for sure that's it yeah. So, I, so uh, Les, we do we do a ski doggle in the winter in in Vail. Historically, has been in Vail, and we do what we call the adventure doggle in Park City in the summertime or the kind of early fall. So it's it's a ski event in the winter, and it's a mountain biking, fly fishing, hiking event in the fall, and they're a lot of fun. I got to tell you, so I I went to the uh, adventure doggle in uh, Park City, or I guess it was in Deer Valley at Deer Valley uh, last last fall, and. One of the things that it actually reminded me of was some of the th- events like the team building 
events that we used to do in the military. Although, albeit, I mean, those are a little bit more extreme. But I, I'll tell you, like, I did the I did the mountain bike ride, and I'm a decent mountain biker. But I got convinced to go on the expert ride, and I was like fearing for my life. <laughs> But the people that I went on that ride with, like, I really trust them now. Like, I developed this new level of trust. So, like, that was not a doggle in my, my mind. That was like a brush with death. But I, I, I really, I didn't feel guilty at all about that expense report because I, like, I, there's very few things I did last year that developed that deep of a network with people. Yeah, so I, that's I the love point. It. Yeah, yeah. You, should, you should come away with these. And I think, you know, there's plenty of entrepreneurial to, uh, entrepreneur to entrepreneur events where, you're sort of t- breaking down those barriers and it, you're, you're moving past the coffee, right? Like, and you're getting into a real shared experience. And that's something you can draw on when, you know, months later, less you want to call up Chris and say, Hey bud, like I have a question for you around this deal that I heard we're both shopping at the same time or, or want to come in on a co-invest with me. So there's that foundational trust, which makes Chris answer the phone, you know, yeah. and that's, that's what I think we're all peeling back the layers of as how do you form meaningful relationships Sometimes you just have to do dumb stuff. Uh, yeah. With hey, Chris. Chris, Chris, remember me, that guy you had to carry off the mountain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? That's yeah, exactly. you. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Kate, tell me, tell me about the, uh, the virtual member happy hour. That's another event. Yeah. So I'd say COVID taught us that we need to have more options, you know, in terms of it can't just all be in-person networking. So we, you know, watch state regulations state by state, but we realized like very quickly, you know, we can all get on Zoom calls and see each other that way for either board meetings. And then we just decided that actually Chris was the genius who came up with this idea of just ah. remember when we were all in lockdowns kind of repeatedly and it was just feeling a little bleak on these back to back Zooms. And, you know, so Chris thoughtfully just was like, I'm going to be on Zoom from, you know, happy hour time and, you know, just join if you want to talk about anything. You know, there wasn't a a company to pitch. There wasn't, again, the strategy. It was just unplugging with people you're comfortable with or new people that you want to meet. And so he, I, I think, deserves the credit of spearheading that. And also he would always bring along someone thoughtful, you know, to join, which I think was just really well received and necessary at that time. And it was a good way to check in with friends across states. That's awesome. Well, and, and thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. I mean, yeah. we, we had a, you know yeah. we had a lot of people turn out, and it was it was fun to do. But you know, I think we're hopefully like knock on wood, this is you know we're on the tail end of Omicron, and things are getting back to normal. And there's certainly no replacement for you know face to face in person interaction. For sure, Chris. Any anything you want to highlight? Like any kind of unexpected topics that maybe surfaced in those those events that were just really meaningful to you or to founders? Like I can imagine like given the time when that happened, there was probably some, some kind of intimate topics or. You know, the, the biggest surprise for me was just like who ended up dialing in randomly Mm. sometimes like people, I think sometimes people would hear about this from another friend and we'd have somebody dial in from like Los Angeles or Hawaii or the East coast. It was kind of cool. Just, frankly, to kind of hear that people were still working on things and the world was still kind of turning around us a little bit. And it probably gave a sense of solidarity to the fa- founders, like other people are, are making it through. Other people are working just as hard as I am and charging through as well, I, w- I would imagine, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. But, you know, less the most like salacious and surprising conversations, I think like that was a cone of secrecy that like we just, I can't breach that. 
Of course. I totally respect that. No, that's great. I mean, that, that's awesome. Thank you for, for not sharing. What, what about the food for thought series? Who was in charge of that or idea or initiative? Yeah, I, I think that that one predates both Chris and I, but it was just okay. a really good thing to continue. And we're actually very excited to put new dates on the calendar this year. Cause as Chris said, you know, we're trying to do a combination of virtual and in-person and food for thought, I think was just also an excuse to get together over lunch, usually in again, any city that where we were dialing in an entrepreneur, maybe an author of a recent book, you know, something where, again, it was, it, it was over lunch. You wanted to meet other people, but you also wanted to listen to something really interesting that would stick with you or, you know, open your perspective in a different way. And so that was really the approach we would try to take of finding, you know, maybe it was a previous entrepreneur who had an incredible exit or just a really, really cool story around how they got into business. And I think we sometimes brush over those when we're meeting entrepreneurs of like, okay, how did you get here? But the layers to those can be really fun. And there's a lot of lessons to be had for the room. So we try to encourage entrepreneurs to come to that as well. But oftentimes we have a great service provider who's a sponsor and, you know, the VCs in that area, or it's also a perfect excuse. Like say we have one in Santa Fe this year. I hope we do. Cause then that gives me an excuse to go down a network around an event. So I think that's part of how we think about the calendar and planning too is if you're going to, if you know you want to take a trip to Utah and you're from Montana or Colorado, plan it around Adventure Doggle where you'll get to meet at least another 30, 40 people that are relevant to your industry. And then you can have the one-off meetings that you were planning on having anyway. So that's sort of the, the continuous underlying perspective we have is like, let's drum up meaningful events in these areas that you would normally be traveling to or trying to network to anyway. That's, I love the strategy. Speaking of the entrepreneurs, I'm wondering, and by the way, most, most of our listeners on the cast, I think are, are entrepreneurs. I think the only VCs that typically listen to our podcast are the ones that are on listening to their <laughs> own episode. Yeah. No, that's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. But, <laughs> but seriously though, for the entrepreneurs, which is most of our listeners, like how should they be thinking about our MVCA and specifically getting involved and in, in being, you know, being involved and in participating? Yeah. I, yeah. I think the biggest challenge, honestly, for for the folks active in the RMBCA, is 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 helping to get entrepreneurs more involved. You know, I think service providers and and investors kind of realize this is part of the job description. Like this is part of the function that defines how you're successful in the long run. One of the things I I think sometimes new entrepreneurs do and and maybe learn over time to do less is is like treat relationships with investors and service providers as transactional. And I think the RMVCA is just, if you're a founder, it's a great way to build relationships with folks that like, they might not invest in your seed round or your next round or maybe ever, but having that relationship means there'll be a sounding board. There'll be an ally. There'll be a friend. There'll be a, a connection to others who might be kind of a better fit for what you're looking for. So in, in terms of like how to get involved, you know, we kind of put a contact form on the website. We're we're all all of us that are involved are pretty public about the fact that we're involved with the RMVCA. And I, myself, Kate, I'm, I'm sure everybody on the board would love to get kind of an inbound note on LinkedIn or something from a founder who just wants to come to Adventure Doggle. Like that would make my day. 
That's cool. Unfortunately, they're going to, by the time this episode airs, they're going to miss the ski doggle, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Because it's next week. <laughs> but maybe the adventure doggle this summer. Yeah. The but, the, but the attraction, I think, for those two doggles also is that, like, they're positioned around sort of highlighting the great things that are in our states naturally that people would love to find a reason to come to Vail to go skiing. And how about tack on some business while you're here? Same thing with Utah. So we're really kind of positioned those ideas to also attract external capital, meaning coastal capital or just other firms that have an interest and, you know, want to be looking and meeting entrepreneurs across these states. So oftentimes everyone says, you know, the best time to have an ask is make a relationship before you have the ask, you know? And so I think these experiences are perfect highlights for that. And as Chris said, you know, the VCs are very much looking to have these kind of casual conversations and interactions in a low pressure event like this. For sure. Maybe, maybe we should try to do one of these in every state every year, huh? Would that uh, ever... Let's do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the summer flathead lake doggle. I would yeah. do it. You can advance. They'll help set up. My husband and I were just trying to figure out how we could go to Montana this summer. So uh, I well, think this tree I, out here just signed itself I know up. some people. Yeah, let's do it. It's great. What about on the membership side? Like how how is it laying down right now in terms of states? Like where... Let's do a call out. Like, where where are some of the states that we want to see more participation, more membership? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately and fortunately, right? Colorado and Utah are sort of the central. I, I'm using brother sister here because me and Chris, but I think the we sort of collaborate that way. There's a lot of deal flow sharing across states naturally, and and I think they're kind of leading the charge in terms of largest amount of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs per state. But there's so much activity happening in, you know, other states. Arizona is actually has a bunch of venture madness events, things like that. So we actually help and support those events. Our friends over at Stout Street run a series of unmet events across the states in the middle of the country. And so we try to also highlight other, you know, VCs, events, that kind of thing, and just try to bring our network to what their efforts are doing too. So We'd love to see more participation, I think, from New Mexico. We love going down there and doing activities with them, but I think we could probably push more effort in that direction too. I mean, Les, you know better than me, but I would love any excuse to come to Montana, to Wyoming, Idaho. I mean, I feel like I have one in a few interactions here and there, but I don't have regular cadence with those states. And I think that's just also the natural ecosystem. What about more ge- more broadly in the region? I'd love to get kind of a perspective from both of you on just themes, major themes that you're seeing, maybe even an opportunity to highlight some strengths of the region, challenges of the region. I just love love to hear from you know our guests always how they think about venture in the Rockies. Well, I'll, I'll take a swing and then Kate can share a, maybe a more insightful view than I might provide. <laughs> the lore of the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountains is super interesting. You know, like there, there are, if you hadn't been here for like 25, 30 years, you might miss that there are some really, really iconic companies that were founded in Colorado, founded in Utah, up into Idaho and down into the sound, Southwest. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, investors were, I think they maybe looked at like the mountain states as an arbitrage opportunity. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of capital here. There were really bright entrepreneurs who were like doing great things. And it's kind of an opportunity to be like a, like a discount investor and then, and then help the companies grow and kind of take them to the coasts and raise at a kind of more market multiple. 
And uh, what's been really, really exciting for me to see is like that paradigm shift almost completely. I, I kind of saw it firsthand, actually, four or five years ago in Utah. The, the firm I was at, we went from kind of never losing a term sheet to suddenly it was like I could count on both hands every week, like the person from the coastal VC firm who was assigned to come to Salt Lake and meet the startups. And and we just, on the one hand, it was, it was I think, like an awakening moment for, but on the other, um, like what an amazing thing that you've got this kind of untapped pool of entrepreneurial talent that suddenly has all the capital it needs and like maybe more capital than it needs at times. I think there's also this like maturation that's happened in the last maybe decade where, you know, folks have had exits, people that were kind of the founding teams or the executives at companies that were really successful have now like had an exit. They've actually, a, a visa, your counterpart in Montana shared this wisdom with me a long time ago, which was you want to look for people that were at the scene of the crime and saw what it was like to, you know, build it at hyperscale. And I just, there, there are armies of people, I think, now in the mountain states that have seen what building a really great company looks like. They've, they've got the experience and the talent and the relationships. And, you know, notwithstanding the last couple of years just being banner years for fundraising and exits, I think we're still kind of on the left-hand side of the J-curve here. I hope that so. What a my, great... There's my exercise for the day. Kate can Kate can put a final. That was awesome. I love it. So insightful, Chris. I can't follow it. No, I think everything that Chris was saying applies absolutely to Colorado. Again, my perspective is somewhat different because I came here in 2015. So I, I wasn't at the scene of the crime in terms of the Colorado and arguably Boulder ecosystem taking off. I did see that at the very beginning of New York, and I can tell you how amazing that was. But the perspective I had coming from New York was, oh, I get this. Like, this is going to happen in Austin. This is going to happen. If this happened to New York, and New York obviously has a ton of, you know, superpower behind it, what, what's going to happen to all these other micro cities, you know, and larger cities that want to have the same you know, people are living there and wanting to work and live in the same place. And Colorado is a huge, like Utah, huge lifestyle draw, right? If you're not from there, but you aspire to play in the mountains and just have a different perspective on where you want to, you know, build your life or raise your family, you're sort of allowed to do both here. And I think that that is a huge draw for a number of, you know, engineering talent, right, that we're looking. And so we, over the few years that I've been here, you know, we've seen outposts of larger corporations like Google and Slack and, you know, start to put offices in this location because of that lifestyle. And also, frankly, it's cheaper than real estate in San Francisco. So it's easier to have a, a more national presence. But just as Chris was saying, the maturation of the ecosystem, you have people and, and you know, David Cohen, who founded Techstars is in Boulder, you know, so there's a splay of Techstars programs across, but also that's the hub of where a lot of decision making happens. And innovation for that organization. And so I think, you know, calling out some of these ecosystems are just really helpful to mature the startup ecosystem in general. But then as Chris was saying, same thing, you have high exits, those entrepreneurs decide to be investors or angel investors or go build, you know, another strategy, the money, you know, kind of cycles back through the community, we hope, right. And we've seen that in in our ecosystem here. So I think it's, and then also there's a mentorship that also happens naturally with new emerging entrepreneurs looking to seek out 
you know, either talent advice from successful entrepreneurs and how do they, you know, build the same strategy here or something similar. In terms of types of companies, I mean, I think that the telecom industry that was pretty dominant to Colorado morphed into software and Boulder was like a great hub for that, you know, just SaaS businesses, some hardware companies. So I would say more traditional engineering. And then there's this really interesting ecosystem around Boulder and food and CPG. You know, there's just a number of probably companies that you can walk through the aisles of Whole Foods that are attributed to just the ecosystem of way Boulder likes to produce food innovation. So there's a nice CPG angle here too. And I think as Denver has become more of the, I would say, emerging market because Boulder's more established, there's just a number of people who are coming here with their expertise and they just want to build here. So healthcare is starting to evolve in an interesting way. Education, for sure. I was a part of Galvanize and Gilded's now doing really well here. So I think there's a number of industries that are starting to see their category creator, if you will, and yep. how there's examples of you can build your vision of a company here and, and why. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud to be building our firm here because I think there's a ton of opportunity. You mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. You said the phrase, like people coming here and wanting to build here. And I think like a decade ago, 15, 20 years ago, like people were kind of here in the mountain states and they wanted to build, but they didn't want to leave. Yeah. And, and I think what we've seen and accelerated by the pandemic is like people consciously choosing, I'd rather live in the mountain states than yep. maybe in the Bay Area or in SoCal, something like that. And I just, I like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground with a prediction here, uh, and I'll come back and read this podcast in like ten years and see if this was. All <laughs> I'm sure um, it'll be spot on. Yeah, I, whatever it is, maybe. I think, I think that you know, in, in the past, Utah, and I think we could extrapolate to the other mountain states was capital constrained. You know, valuations weren't as high here talent was harder to recruit. I actually think that with the way kind of remote work and mobile workforce is shifting, that people who are really good will be able to choose where they want to live. And if certainly if you're an engineer, but probably if you're in sales too, if you're in inside sales, if you're in product, if you're really good, why wouldn't you want to live in a place like the Rockies? And and so I think over time, actually, I would imagine that you end up with enough talent in a place like this and capital is portable, talent is portable. Why wouldn't you end up having premium valuations for companies in the mountain states? I think people will be happier, just like the proximity to nature and the quality of life uh, will be good for them. There's a lot of room to grow. Utah is a little bit constrained because of the the mountain range here, but Generally speaking, plenty of room to physically build your company and bring people in. So that's a long way of saying my prediction is that in 10 years, startups in the mountain states will command at least a slight premium valuation. I like yeah. it. It's just the over. I'm not going to say how much over, but the over. Is. You know, it's good. It's good. I got to tell you, there's already data suggesting that trend as of last year. We, we pulled some stats for our annual LP update and- What's happening is actually, although Series A and earlier are underpriced and undersized, according to the market, Series B in region are actually higher and larger rounds, higher Mm -hmm. higher pre-money and larger larger capital raise. At least that was a trend as of last year. Yeah. Um, According to PitchBook, which we is the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) You always got to say according to PitchBook. That's right. Totally. No, but it's very interesting because. 
you know, obviously with the great resignation and, and even before that, it, everything points to it's a talent war. And so how do you continue to innovate so that you can attract the top talent and have them stay with you? I mean, in, you know, pre pandemic, I remember talking to my portfolio companies that were in the Valley and they were just living in fear that Google would come over and offer them or some much larger series A would offer them the moon. And they're like, I can't keep my talent, you know? So it was actually a strategic move to have their talent sort of be undiscovered in a different part of the country where, you know, they were, I would say, just building a deeper partnership with one another and they didn't want to leave. So I think you, you're you onto something, Chris, in terms of factoring for desire and lifestyle, or maybe it's, I want to spend part of the year ski season or something, you know, in the mountain region. But I think that's that's becoming the norm because obviously, you know, entrepreneurs and talent can dictate terms a little bit more. Totally. Chris, you must be a listener because you, you just totally stole my thunder on the last question I always like to ask, which is the predictions. You've already made one, but Kate, <laughs> it's your turn. Any, 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 and it, by the way, it doesn't need to be a prediction. Chris no, like was, was great, but any like crystal ball, the future for a moment, like what is, what do you think about the future of either RMBCA or the future? Just something, throw it out there. Yeah, I think in terms of I'll I'll play in the vein of community, right? You know, I think we had this very strange disruption around all of us and how we participate in communities and what that looks like on a hybrid scale going forward. And we're going to be more critical about where we spend our time. And I love that there, you know, I have a family, I have two kids, and I love that there's sort of a a redirection to prioritization as, you know, we are making these choices. So I think of communities will have much more pressure to be deep value add. And, you know, it's not just value add too, but what am I getting out of it? How am I enjoying it? Do I have feel good being a part of this community? And so I think people will have a higher pressure on that in general. And I'm, I'm thinking of the communities that I'm a part of that RMBCA included, that just I get a lot out of. And, you know, the I would say the prediction is around what's community going to look like now that we don't really have state lines in the same way that we used to, the world is flat and opportunities, I think, are more re- are readily available if you're willing to network to the right communities. I'm also fascinated with how community exists in Web3. That's something that we're investing in looking at quite a bit. So, And that, in some ways, is a bit of a walled garden, also incredibly welcoming. So I think there's a number of tiers that we can think of, but the evolution of community now that... I think as a VC and and as you know champion for our regional investment strategies here we just don't have the same barriers we were sort of fighting you know pre covid of like come care about our region like it's already happened so now that that's gone how will we facilitate community in a more national perspective yeah we all the world gets a little bit closer that's it's it's exciting yeah yep. chris any you've already made your prediction but any other closing thoughts maybe related to the future of the RMBCA or future of membership? You know, I, I just think that the, the, the mountain states have been a really great place to build a, com- build a company and raise venture capital for a long time. We're, we're, if, if the audience here is mostly founders, I, I'm preaching to the choir in, in saying like, this is a great place to build a business. But I think the, the RMVCA is, is kind of accelerant for all of the great things that are going on. And if, if you're a founder and you're just starting out and you know you you want to understand how how high growth companies get financed if you want to build your support system of 
of service providers and advisors. If you want to meet other founders that are just starting out, and frankly, if you've done it a couple of times and you're kind of getting back into founding and you need to reconnect to the community very quickly, I think the RMVCA is probably the like best positioned community to facilitate that. It's been really in- interesting over the last couple of years to see the coastal investors get involved with the RMVCA as they try to plug into the mountain states. I think that's going to kind of continue. And I, I think it's just, it's a really interesting opportunity and a great way to kind of help bolster your endeavors, whether kind of professional or entrepreneurial. What a great thought to end on. I, I want to thank you both uh, for your time today. Such an insightful episode. Um, hoping that our listeners will tell all of their friends in the Rockies about this organization and, and all of the great benefits of membership and, and thankful for you and the rest of the board for what you're doing. We, we know this isn't your day job, but definitely something very important that's had a tremendous effect on our ecosystem. So thank you Thanks, for that. Les. Thank you, Les. It's great to have you involved too. Awesome. And Kate, why don't you uh, tell us a little, just tell us where uh, our audience can find more about the RMVCA online. Sure. So RockyMountainVCA.com is the website. Just reach out to us through that. There's always our events are always posted under the events tab. Again, we we're trying as best we can to be as welcoming and inclusive. So no question is will go unanswered. Just shoot us a note or hit up Chris or myself or less. I'm volunteering you individually through, I think, say our social channels or our emails or our, for our funds and we'll direct you to the right person who can answer the question and hopefully see you at our next event. And we're off to the ski doggle. Thank you both. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.